CSN International presents To Every Man an Answer, the live apologetics program that equips you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you have a Bible question or a question on the Christian faith, you can call us at 1-888-827-5276. Again, that's 1-888-ASK-CSN. Let's get things started. Here's today's host, Mike Kessler. Hi, and welcome to Tuesday's edition to of Every Man and Answer here on this brand new year. Pray that you all had a very wonderful, blessed, safe uh, transition from 2023 to 2024. And here we are in a brand new year. And uh, again, I believe this year is going to present many opportunities for all of us to share the gospel because I believe this year's going to have many, many trials in it as well. And so being about our Father's business, we're one day closer to being in heaven. Joining me today, special guest and featured CSN speaker, one hour before, we have with us John Randall from Calvary Chapel, South OC, down by San Clemente, California. Hi and welcome. Hey, Mike, great to be back with you and Happy New Year to all of the listeners, all the CSN family, and looking forward to 2024 and what the Lord has for us. Yes, amen. And um, again, when we look at this, an election year, and of course, um, <laughs> do you want more of the same? Or <laughs> maybe we ought to change parties here. Okay, just the thought. But um, whatever it is, I'll tell you, friends, I believe that uh, the problems that uh, that the world is having is much more than just the United States. When you look at Putin, uh, his whole nation's about ready to, to rebel against him because of the whole Ukraine deal. You've got uh, China wanting to take Taiwan. Uh, you've got North Korea threatening war against the United States, bragging now that they feel their missiles can hit the United States. Uh, when you look at what's going on in the Middle East, you know, you see the demonstrations yesterday all over America, pro-Palestinian uh, uh, demonstrations, and yet there's no clamor from the Democrats, no clamor from the United Nations for Hamas to surrender. Oh, they want to disarm Israel, but there is no call to for Hamas to surrender. And they're the ones that started the war. So I've got to say, we got some real issues globally, but this is exactly what Jesus said in Matthew 24, perplexity among nations. Now, something important to remember, everybody, is that this is why this did not happen in 70 AD. And I believe this is real important for you that follow prophecy and and uh, good theological doctrine. Perplexity among nations. The Bible also says there'll be nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. But wait a minute. When Jesus said these things, it was all the Roman Empire. There were no nations. It was all one giant homogenized Roman Empire. But you know, the Bible says that God sees into the future. Again, I tell people, God knows more uh, about tomorrow than we remember about yesterday. And so I believe how important it is. If you've got a question, you'd like to ask us that number to call again, 8888-ASK-CSN. But before we do, you know, John, so many things going on in California but, uh, you know, you got all the crazy stuff going on politically. But what's important is is um, the waves. I mean, you, you've got 10, 12-foot breakers down there. 
Yeah, we had a good uh, uh, swell come in and more storm surf, really. There's a lot of warnings uh, out there. I have some friends that uh, like to charge uh, the big waves, and uh, I happened to be sick last week, uh, but I, I would have made it out. But, it, uh, yeah, it, it came in strong and um, smell it out since. But it's pretty amazing when you just see uh, just the power of God's creation um, uh, just begin to surge and these waves come up and it's, it's amazing to watch and, uh, it's pretty breathtaking. It's definitely one of my favorite places to, uh, of God's creation, just watching those waves roll in and in, in the ocean and, uh, pretty powerful. Yeah. I saw, I saw it came into one of the, the coastal communities there <laughs> down where they have houses and it picked up cars and people and everything oh, just, no. just knocked it down the street. It was amazing. Yeah, that was amazing to see some power out there uh, in that ocean that God created for sure. I know it's it's it, and, and they're trying to even harness that for for energy. So a lot of a right. lot of energy in the in the rise and fall of the water. Well, let's go ahead and go to the phones again. Eighty eight, eighty eight. Ask CSN if you want to be part of the program today on this first to every man and answer of the new year. And uh, we're going to go to Howard, Washington State. Hi, welcome. Hi, guys. Um, a quick question. I have this friend that says myrrh that was given to Jesus was used by the Jews in open septic ditches to make them fragrant. I think this guy's way off base. I think it was used as an anointing oil. Well, actually, the frankincense was. Uh, that was a gift that you would give a priest. Of course, of course, gold is a gift you would give a king, but many people believe the myrrh is actually what they put on a dead body. Your thoughts? Yeah, I've heard uh, several things. That's the first, by the way, Howard, that's the first time I've ever heard that take on um, one of the gifts that was given to Jesus. <laughs> um, there was gold, frankincense, and myrrh that were given to him. Significant gifts, and uh, oftentimes these uh, mixtures... Uh, were used, of course, for for different reasons. Sometimes medicinal reasons. Um, you know, you think about pure frankincense was was set near the the bread of presence. I think it's a Leviticus twenty four seven talks about that in the Old Testament. Um, sprinkled with the grain offerings, uh, used in perfumes. I think a Song of Solomon chapter three and chapter four where where it talks about those fragrances that were used. So they had different purposes. I wonder if perhaps. Um, Obviously, Jesus had to leave with Joseph and Mary from Bethlehem uh, to flee the the Herod's decree to wipe out all of the children, and they escaped to Egypt for a time before they ended up in Nazareth. I, I can't help but wonder if if perhaps some of the the gold that they were given was used for traveling arrangements and and whatever. I, you know, some of that stuff could have been sold. It was very valuable. We can say that for sure. And um, but that's the first time I've heard that take on on your friends. Uh, mention of that, but th- there was significance to these spices that were given. Yeah, very fragrant, and again, it was often used in uh, uh, when they'd wrap a body, they would put the uh, myrrh there as well. Now, very right. quickly, you have three gifts, and this is where the idea of the three wise men came from. However, there is no scriptural basis for three wise men. We don't know how many there was, and probably being they came from the east and being that the roads still were somewhat dangerous. We remember even Jesus gave a story about a man that went from Jerusalem down to Jericho. They fell among thieves. They robbed him. So it would be very unusual for um, three individuals to travel 
um, from the Far East, most likely the old area of Babylon, probably because Daniel um, uh, told them about a coming Messiah that would come uh, uh, for the nation of Israel. And so I believe this is one of the reasons, first of all, they were looking for the star. Second of all, the fulfillment of prophecy to attract the wise men to uh, 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 Bethlehem. Uh, and, and But the third one is that we don't know how many there were. There could have been as many as 12 or 24. We don't know how many there was. What, however many there was, though, and this is uh, these are some of the uh, uh, clues as we study Scripture. Whatever it was, it was of a magnitude that got Herod's attention. I don't think three men coming to Herod saying, where is the king of the Jews? I don't think that would have really caused this violent reaction to kill all the children two years of age and under. And we have to remember, the wise men did not show up at the manger. The Bible tells us that they showed up at the house. And so this was probably a couple of years later. And understanding that, um, we don't know how many wise men there were, but for just three to travel that far, uh, even with the roads full of thieves, I don't believe that. I, I, I would have said it would probably have been more like maybe a dozen or two. Uh, whatever it was, it was, it was impressive enough that it got Herod's attention for him then to try to kill all the children two years of age and under. And that goal that was delivered, I'm sure, came in very useful for Joseph to be able to move uh, uh, Jesus down to Egypt until Herod was dead. Hope that you helps. Know, Mike, I was, oh, go I was ahead. going to mention to you, Mike, that um, just to confirm what you said about the the myrrh being used in burial. If you you know fast forward to John nineteen, where John is preparing, or John tells us that Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea actually took the body. This is uh, John chapter nineteen, verses thirty nine and forty. It says that Nicodemus had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight, and they took Jesus' body and bound it in the linen cloth with the spices, as was the burial custom of the Jews. So to confirm what you said, myrrh was used for burial purposes, and John mentions that in John chapter 19. Yes, so I hope that helps, Howard. Yeah, this guy's got a lot of, to me, new age stuff. I don't think... You know, myrrh would be too valuable to put in a ditch of some kind, right? Sure. No, I don't believe that. I've never, ever heard that, ever, from anyone. And uh, a gift that you would um, uh, combine. Now, remember, these they were all together. They came from the East. Gold, a gift for kings. Frankincense, a gift for priests. And myrrh, symbolizing, I believe, uh, Jesus's uh, death. Now, what's important to understand here is that uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to go with my friends. We're, we're going to go give uh, a baby Jesus a gift um, or maybe a toddler. We're going to give him a gift. Well, I'm going to give him a, uh, 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 I'm going to give him a, uh, um, you know, antique coin collection of gold American coins. Another one says, well, I'll give him the, the finest perfume that money can buy. And the other one says, 
I'll just give him a box of rocks. To to discount myrrh that level to just be thrown in to a septic tank or something like that uh, really shows that they didn't really do their homework or research, and you will never prove that anywhere in the Bible, I believe also, nor in the writings of Josephus, who is a historian outside of the Bible who recorded many things. Hope that helps. Oh, that was a blessing. And uh, you don't have to send me anything. I don't have a VCR or anything like that. Well, I can send you a couple books. As long as you got eyes, you can read it, share it with your friends. <laughs> Howard, stay in line. We'll get, that, we'll get that out to you. Happy New Year to you. And may the Lord give Happy you a great opportunity. May the Lord give you great opportunities this new year. Let's go to Maureen, Montana. Hi, welcome. Hi, this is Maureen. Um, my question, or open for discussion anyway, is um, forgiveness versus reconciliation amongst offenses between believers, or at least this person I'm dealing with claims to be a believer. Um I'm looking at Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 22, and I see that there is accountability even after salvation, but this person believes that there isn't, that it's one and done, you come to Jesus, any sin you commit after that is washed in his blood. And that's the end of it. So in other words, what they're saying is, I broke in your car. I stole all your stuff. You got really nice stuff. I got saved, but I'm not giving any of your stuff back. Well, that tells me that person is not right with God. Because the Bible very clearly teaches fruits of repentance. And that means to make it right. Your thoughts? Yeah, I was trying to, I wanted to make the connection, Maureen, on this uh, forgiveness and reconciliation between Christians. Is there... It, was there a difference of opinion that, that you were coming to reconcile with him about accountability for believers? Or I, I just want to make well, sure I understand your question. Uh, I've known this person for over 25 years, but our disagreements before several months ago were all about material things, you know, that I could care less okay. about. And I would, you know, just forget about it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, several months ago, this person started criticizing me for using the Word of God to back up important issues that we were discussing. Mm. And each time I would be cut off, stop your preaching, stop your preaching, and then they'd hang up. Okay. And then even more recently, we were in a small group discussion uh, with a few other people directly talking about sin and uh, reconciliation. And uh, this person just mocked the whole thing and walked away. Hmm. Well, that's unfortunate. I'm sorry to hear that. You know, two scriptures that come to mind. First is Isaiah 118. It says, come, now let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they shall be as wool. In other words, there's an invitation. Let's come and reason together. It's difficult to reason with someone 
who is unreasonable if they're not willing to have a discussion. And I think, you know, Matthew 18 uh, gives you the first thing you do is you there's a there's a process there. You go to that person personally. It sounds like you've done that. Um, then you if they don't listen to you, then you take another person who's godly, a witness. And if they won't hear them on some disagreement or grievance, well, then you take uh, eventually you bring somebody from the church involved. And again, if this person is claiming to be a Christian, perhaps a pastor, perhaps a spiritual leader who could come and sit down and reason together. And then after that, Jesus tells us if they're not going to respond to that spiritual leadership and that encouragement and exhortation from the word of God, then, then there's another step to take. Perhaps you have to, you have to break fellowship for a time. And um, that's the last resort. Hopefully there is an opportunity to be reconciled, but you can, you can forgive the person, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're, you're going to have reconciliation all the time. I wish that it did, but it doesn't always happen that way, Mike. Yeah, Matthew chapter 5, 23 and 24. Therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, you leave your offering there before the altar and go and first be reconciled to your brother, then come and present mm-hmm. your offering. So very clearly, it says that there has to be reconciliation before we even approach God. Remember when Jesus uh, taught the disciples to pray, he said, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, again, I believe in what's called fruits of repentance. To just say, hey, I'm I'm sorry, uh, uh, and and I, I really wronged you, but <laughs> tough luck, you're out of luck. That isn't the way it works. And it also doesn't work that way in the judicial system. You can murder people. You can steal from people. You can accept Christ as your Savior. But that doesn't make the punishment of your crimes instantly go away. Now, yes, I do believe in God's mercy. But when it comes to reconciling things with our fellow man, how can I truly say we're brothers or sisters in Christ if I have stolen something from somebody or slander them or, or plotting lawsuits against them or, or things like this, uh, you're, you're not right with God. And in fact, Jesus even went farther and said, he said, uh, pray that you're counted worthy concerning the times of the end. Pray that you're counted worthy to escape all these things. Well, I thought just automatically, I accept Christ, then I'm good to go. That isn't what Jesus said. That's what men say. That's what the internet says. But that's not what Jesus said. Whoa, wait a minute. We got an issue here. Is it works? No, it's faith. What keeps a person from going and saying, hey, I I owe you this money. I didn't pay you. I ricked you out of it. I've asked God to forgive me. Can I make payments back to you? What can I do to make this debt right with you. That is what I believe the Bible is talking about here in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, that we we have made an attempt to do that, to get that right. Now, if the person says, you're ugly, I don't ever want to see you again, you're nothing but a low-down scoundrel thief, even though you're a Christian, and the person has tried to make reconciliation, then it's upon that individual, not upon you, but for somebody to say, "Oh, once you're once you're saved, oh, you have no responsibility into making anything right," um, I don't know where that's at in the Bible. It's not a works trip. 
It's faith. Why don't you want to give your brother back his money that you stole from him? Well, because I can't afford it. Well, then you need to tell him. You need to work out something with him. Well, um, I just can't pay it back. Well, then what you're really saying is, I don't trust God, now that I'm a Christian, to put some money in my life, which God can do. I mean, he had the disciples go fish, find gold coins in their mouth to pay their taxes. I'm saying I don't trust God to bless me financially so in turn I can pay you back what I stole from you. So really, it's a denial of faith. It's not works, but faith. Now again, faith, James tells us, without works is dead. And I know a lot of Christians that have dead works. They say one thing and do another. Oh, I love you, bro. Oh, man, you're my buddy. And, and the minute they're, they, that you walk away from them, they're, they're doing evil, wicked things, trying to, trying to slander you, all those things. That person's not right. I don't believe that person will go in the rapture personally because they are not following what Jesus said. Forgive us our debt or our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Pretty important words. Any last thoughts? Yeah, I'd agree with you. You know, you, you work toward reconciliation. You have the heart of Jesus, but uh, sometimes it's you're not able to to have that. And you know what, uh, Maureen, we'll be praying for that, you know, for you and, and that you would uh, just respond in a way that honors the Lord and, and, and for this person. You know, sometimes, Mike, I've found that when I'm not able to, uh, maybe reconciliation uh, is not an option. What I can do is I can pray and I can ask the Lord to work in their life. And I can ask the Lord to work in my life and and just wait to see what, what God might do. So, uh, Maureen, thanks so much for the call there in Montana. Stay warm out there. And yeah. Getting some- and, and, <laughs> and, and, and you know that, that God would give us the posture in our yeah. hearts to forgive right. those that have wronged us. I, I think that's really important as well. Um, and so, Maureen, I hope that helps. Uh, got some books, some DVDs if you like. Stay in line. I'll send them out to you, okay? Oh, that's all right. I, um, my one other feeling that I have is I feel that when we sin against each other or whatever, um, we break that fellowship with the Holy Spirit also. Oh, sure you do. Because because uh, the the Spirit of the Lord wants us to, to love one another. You know, you go to, to um, John chapter 12. Jesus said, I've kept my Father's commandments now you keep mine. Love one another. And I believe that, that how can I say I love my brother if I know I've stolen from him and I won't pay him back? Or how do I know, how, how can I say I love somebody if I'm plotting a, a demise against them? You're not right with God. And I think these people are in a false sense. You know, if it doesn't make any difference, then why did Jesus said, watch and be ready? You don't know what hour your Lord is going to come. If it doesn't make any difference, Jesus said, behold, I come as a thief. If it doesn't make any difference, why did Jesus said, uh, pray that you'd be counted worthy to escape all the judgment of God is what he's talking about there. We find it in Luke chapter 21, Matthew chapter 24, uh, even where we find that verse, um, that you would escape all these things. If it doesn't matter, why did Jesus say it? So I've got to conclude that it does matter. Yeah, but the internet says, well, I don't care what the internet says. 
Let's go back and be balanced Christians. Yes, we're saved by faith. Yes, we're saved by God's grace. Yes, we're in his mercy. But that isn't a license to be irresponsible as a brother or a sister, first of all, to God, and second of all, to our brothers and sisters in the, in, in, in the family of God. Miriam, stay online if you like. Get those out to you. Happy New Year to you, okay? All right, you too. God bless you, dear. Let's go to Jimmy, Burnswick, Georgia. Hi, welcome. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Uh, I've kind of got two questions, but the main one is, at the end of the book of John, and I don't know really where it is. I'll start at verse 20. He he says, uh, Then Peter, turning about, sees the disciple whom Jesus loved, following, which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith, Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Then Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Then went this saying abroad among the brethren that the disciples should not die. Yet Jesus said not unto him, He shall not die. But if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Can can you tell yeah, me? Yeah, he's what, telling what he Peter means? to mind his own business. Your thoughts, John? <laughs> Yeah, well, it's two minutes. It's a, it's a great question. And, you know, here in this chapter, um, Peter's being restored to the ministry publicly. He'd been restored privately. Paul tells us that um, Jesus appeared to Cephas uh, after his resurrection. He appeared to Peter. But here publicly in front of the disciples, you remember he had asked him the question, do you love me three times? Peter had denied Jesus three times. And then Jesus begins to give Peter some insight into what his future looks like. And that future included being led away and having his hands stretched out. It seemed to signify the death in which Peter would eventually die as a martyr. Peter would be crucified. And at that point, Peter didn't want to be crucified right side up. Church history tells us he didn't feel he was worthy, and he was crucified upside down. So he asked the question, well, what about John? What's going to happen to him? I mean, you tell me what's going to happen to my future. And Jesus said to him, hey, Peter, what, if, if I will, if, if let's just say, for example, John was going to remain till I come. Even that doesn't matter. You you follow me. You do what I've asked you to do, which is a really good verse. And then, but what happened was people had heard what Jesus said, and they thought that Jesus said, "Oh, John's never going to die." <laughs> but John is he's the he's the apostle, the last apostle writing the, this gospel was the last record. He's writing, looking back, saying that's not what Jesus meant. What Jesus said was, "If he willed, <laughs> then I would remain." He didn't say I was never going to die. He's just saying if he willed that. Uh, I, I remain until he come, then I would. So John is really clarifying a misunderstanding uh, that had circulated as he's writing, looking back at what Jesus said. Yeah, and Peter, well, what about him? Jesus is saying, you, you don't worry about him. You follow me. And that's, uh, again, staying in your own lane, I guess you might say. Jimmy, we're coming up on a break. We'll have more coming up right after this. We'll be right back. In 2007, when Dan Steiner, president of Preborn, cried out to God, what can I do for you? The answer came loud and clear. I sense God's broken heart over the issue of abortion. You see, he sees every little baby that's being formed in the mother's womb, and it breaks his heart to see when the lifetime that he has planned for them is taken from them violently so often. But if we can get a mom into one of our clinics and show her her baby, and she has that a close encounter of the best kind in her womb, she will choose life. 
Preborn Network of Clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion. To learn more about the life-saving work of Preborn, call 855-668-BABY. That's 855-668-BABY. Or visit preborn.com. That's preborn.com. All gifts are tax-deductible. Your love can save a life. If you haven't switched to MediShare yet, two big reasons to at least consider it and why it makes so much sense right now. Number one is inflation, which is just affecting everything. It just makes sense to say, okay, where can I actually save? Well, you can save a lot in one fell swoop if you switch to MediShare. The typical family saves $500 a month. Secondly, your conscience. MediShare members aren't forced to pay for things they don't support or believe in. And that's a big deal for a lot of people right now. They want their money to actually help people. And one more reason, you can trust MediShare. It's been the gold standard for healthcare sharing for more than 30 years. It works and members love it too. It has double the member satisfaction rating compared to health insurance. So now's a great time to consider making the switch, and they are very easy to talk to. MediShare has great customer service. You can call now and get a price within two minutes. Here's the number. It's 855-91-BIBLE. That's 855-91-BIBLE. 855-91-BIBLE. Welcome you back to part two of To Every Man Answer here on the first To Every Man and Answer program of the year. Happy 2024 again to everyone. I'm here with John Randall from Calvary Chapel, South Orange County, down by uh, uh, San Clemente. And uh, I'm so glad you're here with us, John. Glad you're feeling better. And uh, we're going to go back to the phones. Jimmy, I hope that answered it for you. Yeah, if I can ask one other quick question, it's based on the the last question you received from the lady uh, and the answer you gave. Uh, my brother's sister has uh, white. My brother's wife has hated my sister ever since they've been together thirty years, and wow. I don't know why. Uh, insecurity, jealousy, whatever it is, I don't know. But anyway, then she spread that hate to my mother. And so my brother hated my sister, too. He was in agreement with her. He hated my mother, too. My mother's passed away and my father. They've long since passed away. So uh, I have not heard from my brother also for 30 years. He basically shut the whole family out because of his wife. And Mm -hmm. all the answers I heard you giving to that lady and the question a while ago – is there anything I should do? Should should I call my brother? Should uh, I mean, there's been no... I would. Just to tell you, Jimmy, I would. I mean, the most he can do is hang up on you. Uh, and, you know, you sit there and torture yourself, never knowing whether or not uh, your brother would like to talk to you again. So, no, I would go ahead and call him. You haven't got anything to lose. You know, I, I believe a, a true believer is the one that always will make the first move. God made the first move towards us. Why were we we yet sinners? Christ died for us. He made the first move. So we as his children, we should make the first move as well. Not for somebody's evil, but for somebody's good. And so I would call him and just say, hey, Jimmy, you know, I missed you half my life. I didn't want to miss you the rest of my life. Uh, How you doing? And just see what he says. 
And if he hangs up on you and says, I never want to talk to you, well, then then it's off, it's off your shoulders. You did what you could do. It's upon his. John, any last thoughts? Yeah, I think it's worth it. You know, I feel, uh, Jimmy, that, you know, family's important. You got you got a brother and, 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 and life is short. It's a vapor and it's not worth um, not at least attempting. I, the other thing I would suggest is perhaps a, a well-crafted letter where you're able to, sometimes you get in a phone conversation, you, you know, you don't know what you're going to say, but sometimes if you, you write something out or a text or an email to your brother that's thought out and you really get to share your heart, your perspective for him and um, your love for him, sometimes God uses that as well. So I, I think like Mike said, I think it's worth taking a, taking a risk and uh, taking a step of faith and just trust the Lord with the outcome. Yeah, and I I always I'm a better phone caller than I am a texter or a letter writer. Um so you know you might just give him a call and and just uh just tell him you love him and tell him you miss him and and uh whatever happened in the past, sorry about that, but that still doesn't make you not my brother and I just want to tell you happy new year and I love you. I I think right now this time of the year personally is a real good time to make reconciliation as best you can uh, mm-hmm. to reach out to people because, you know, it's a new year. It's, uh, you know, uh, a new new set of parameters. So, so you know, I'd give them a call. Jimmy, I hope that helps. Yes, it does. Nothing happened between us. It just, I, I got included in being shut out. Well, um, I would, it, I would go ahead and I would go ahead. Personally, I would do that. So Jimmy, hope that helps. Thank you. Stay online if you like. Send you out some books, DVDs, uh, if you like. Let's go to Carol, Montana. Hi, welcome. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. How may I we? I was help? listening. Oh, I was listening to some uh, people talking uh, the other day, and they were saying that you shouldn't do the Eucharist. And, you know, the Bible says, do this in remembrance of me. So I don't really understand why they were saying that you shouldn't do it. Well, I believe it's probably because it's administered through a particular individual, and that was not the purpose of communion. You're communing with Christ, not to a priest. And this is where I think it goes goes off. Second of all, their interpretation of what's happening during communion, that the bread actually goes from a, a carbohydrate to a protein. It actually becomes Jesus's body, the meat, and and that's what you chew on. And, and then the cup actually becomes his blood. And that is not what Jesus said. Jesus at the Last Supper didn't snap a thumb off and say, this is my body which is broken for you. Pass it around and chew on it a little bit. He didn't do that. He didn't slit his wrist and then pour it into a cup and said, this is my blood which is shed for you. He held up the fruit of the vine. He held up the bread, broke it, and said, this is my body. It's very clear. It's symbolic of something that Jesus did for us, being that he was the bread of life. And so I believe the problem is where the Eucharist administered through a priest at the Catholic Church, as an example, is that that is not what real communion is. Communion is where you personally are communing with God. Peter said, by his stripes, we are healed. Uh, that bread represents that healing touch. We're very complex beings. We, we need our body touched. We need our memories and our brain touched. We, we need our, 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 our 
spiritual life touched. We're we're very complex. And so I, I believe when Jesus did that, he was he was really exemplifying, hey, I, I'm a total being healer. Come to me. Well, that's not what they're telling you. They're saying, go to the priest, and he'll go to the Lord for you. That is not what the Bible says. The Bible clearly says there's only one mediator between God and man. It's not a priest. It's Christ Jesus. It's not a pope. It's Christ Jesus. It's not a Sunday school teacher or a bishop or anybody else, a pastor. It's you and Jesus. And I'm always amazed how the enemy always tries to get in and disrupt that simple father-child relationship. As Paul says, where we by cry, Abba, Father. Jesus said, when you pray, pray in this manner. Our Father, our Daddy, our Abba, which art in heaven. That's what he wants. That's how God wants to relate with us. Not some, our Father, which art in heaven, our Father, which art in heaven, our Father, which art in heaven. I mean, if my child came to me and did that, Daddy, buy me a bicycle, Father, buy me a bicycle, Father, buy me a bicycle, for 10 times, I would say, what? is wrong with you. The Bible says the heathen do vain and repetitious prayers, thinking they'll be heard for their much speaking. That's the problem. Your thoughts, John? Yeah, communion is a a blessing. And of course, that word used, Eucharist, um, is is rooted in the Greek word Eucharista, um, Eucharistia, rather, and it means Thanksgiving. And I think there's a difference between Let's say, for example, as Mike was pointing out, what the uh, Catholics would refer to as partaking of the Eucharist versus um, the believers in Christ, that is the, maybe you could say the Protestant, if you want to use that term, would call communion. Communion is a blessing. Jesus instituted communion there in the upper room with his disciples at the Last Supper, and he took elements that were common at every meal, and he change the meaning of them or what they represented. And so he said, this is now to represent, not that it was literally, physically, the words that Jesus spoke were, were spirit. Um, Jesus said, what, I, what I'm saying to you is, is this represents now my body that's broken for you. This cup represents, it's to remind you of the blood that's going to be shed for you of this new covenant. So almost as, and these, these, these elements were almost at every meal. It's almost like every meal that you take, I want you to remember me. That's the purpose. It's to have fellowship with the Lord. And there's also something wonderful about communion in that we have fellowship with one another. I'm taking of those elements, you're taking of those elements, and there is a wonderful unity that takes place in the body of Christ as we're all, in a sense, living off of Jesus. It's a reminder of his love. It's a reminder of his first coming. And it is also a reminder of his second coming. Paul said in writing to the Corinthians, as you do this as often as you do until he comes again. So we keep taking it and we'll remind ourselves. But but transubstantiation, which is what uh, Catholic doctrine teaches, that these things as you take them become the literal body and the literal blood of Christ is not uh, actually biblical teaching. That is not something that is found in Scripture, but that is something that is added to Scripture, and thus we would disagree with that definition of communion or Eucharist. Hope that helps. Okay. Yeah, it does. Thank you very much. God bless you, Carol. Uh, Stay on the line if you like. Send you out the things we send people to call in. want to wish you a very Blessed New Year, and let's go to Diane, Utah. Hi, welcome. Hello, pastors. 
Happy New Year. Well, Happy New Year to you, dear. How may we help? <laughs> I have uh, two questions for you. One's pretty simple. So um, a cousin of mine was telling me uh, to have a crucifix on the wall of your house is is considered an idol. Um, so I was kind of wondering what your thoughts were on that. Well, Diane, anything can become an idol. Uh, I, I know people that idolize the Bible. Uh, you go in their house and it's right there on the coffee table. They never read it. Never. No, we, we store locks of baby hair and we put $2 bills in there and things like that. Uh, but that, that's, that's, you know, that's our symbol. I think anything can become an idol. And an idol is simply man's thoughts of what the real and the unseen world is. Now, again, when you see a crucifix, now you see a cross. Um, I, I don't know. I think a lot of times, um, uh, especially in churches, I think that's fine. I think Jesus on the cross, though, is an issue because Jesus died for our sins. But that's not the end of the story. Lots of people died on crosses, but only Jesus rose from the dead. And therefore, you see an empty cross when you deal with, I believe, true Christianity. Your thoughts? I agree. Um, you know, I don't think there's, I think for some people, a cross can become a talisman, a good luck charm. I've got my, I have my cross. I remember years ago, uh, one of my son's baseball teams, and he was, when he was a young boy, there was a man who uh, he would he was going through kidney uh, surgery and failure, and he was having to have dialysis. And remember, he would always come to the game, and he had this wooden cross, and he knew that I was a pastor. And he always said to me, "I just I, I hold on to this because this really and and it was in a sense it was some kind of a, a good luck charm for him or something that he drew strength from from the cross. Listen, the cross." We don't worship the cross. We worship the one who was on the cross and who died and rose again. I don't think it's wrong to have a cross in your house. If if you worship a crucifix, if you worship any kind of idol, that would be wrong. But I, when I see a cross, I'm I'm grateful. You know, I had a good friend years ago, friend of my dad's, when he would see somebody with a cross uh, necklace, and a lot of people wear them. And uh, he'd say, oh, I, I, I love your necklace. He, he would say to the person, my best friend died on one of those. The person would look at him and say, what? And he would just launch into the gospel, um, you know, when he saw somebody with a cross. But I, I, I don't think we worship it. it. It is a reminder. But I would say there are some who do worship it. And I think that's that's improper because that's God. You know, we're not to worship idols or to make any idols. That could be a person. That could be a that could be a cross. That could be anything. So you definitely want to avoid that. Yeah, it's like the guy that got on an airplane Sets down, his minister starts reading his Bible. This guy gets on. He was a hipster kind of guy, had a big crucifix around his neck and gold chains. And he sat down next to him and he talked a little bit about God. The plane takes off. All of a sudden, the masks drop out from above. They said, we're going through very, very turbulent weather. We just just uh, really uh, hold on tight. And this guy got really scared and he starts rubbing the cross uh, the, around his neck. And he just, he just kept rubbing. And the, the 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 turbulence just got worse and worse. Finally, he looks over at the minister who had been reading his Bible, and he looks at him and says, "How do you work this thing?" Well, that's kind of the problem. We we look at uh, th sometimes things of faith as I as uh, 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 to remind us of maybe what was once there a long time ago. And I believe this is why the Bible tells us in the Ten Commandments, 
not to make graven images. Because again, uh, how would a man ever really truly understand the majesty of God, whether it's what God looks like, the magnitude of what Jesus did for us on the cross, whatever it would be to be carved into something and oftentimes um, just um, sidelined. I, I think that's where the problem comes, Diane. Hope that helps. Uh, yeah, that does. And and she, and she basically said there's nothing wrong with having a cross on your wall, just as long as it didn't have um, the body of Christ on there. Um, because she, she said to me, you know, is he on the cross anymore? I was like, well, no. It was okay then. <laughs> but... No, he wasn't on the cross very long, but he did die for our sins. That's good. But to leave Jesus on the cross, Jesus Christ, him crucified and resurrected, that's what makes Jesus Christ God. Diane, I hope that helps. Stay on line. We'll send you out some books, some DVDs. Again, uh, Happy New Year to you. And God bless you. Thanks so much for the call. Let's go to David, Las Vegas. Hello. How are you, How are you guys today? Good. How may we help? Uh Happy New Year. First Happy New Year to you. And my, thank you, sir. And my, my question is coming from First Chronicles chapter 14. I'll just read it real quick. And it says, And they went up to Baal Perazim, and David struck them down there. Then David said, quote, God broke through my enemies by my hand as breaking through of waters. Or at, <clears throat> excuse me, end quote. Therefore, they named that place Baal Perazim. And my question is, <clears throat> My question is, they're referring to God of the Bible. Why are they using the word Baal? Isn't the, isn't Baal a, a false god of, of Phoenicia? Yeah, that's where he got defeated. Your thoughts? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm I'm remembering that. And and Baal Perazim, if I'm not mistaken, um, does that mean the god of uh, master of breakthrough? Is that what that word means? I'm just I'm I'm re- trying to recall. That's that's a really good question. It's taking me a minute to kind of look that up. Um, First Chronicles, yeah, God, uh, First Chronicles 14, sorry, um, <clears throat> looking that up. And what verse was that, uh, David, you were reading? Sir. What, what, what verse what was, was it? Verse 11. Yeah, so he went up, sorry, let me just refer to it here. So they went up to Baal Berazim, David defeated them there, and said, God has broken through my enemies my, by my hand like a breakthrough of water. And he called him Baal Perazim. If I'm not mistaken, I think that means master of breakthrough. So the question being, why refer to it as Baal Perazim? Called the name of that place? Because mm-hmm. it says they went up to that place, Baal Perazim. And, uh, and and that's what it was referred to. I don't think he's referring to God as Baal Perazim. But the place, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, where, they, where David defeated them was called Baal Perazim. I don't think he was referring to to God that way, and I, that's I where they were they were doing their their things, and so it was just it it just remained identified as that, not that God is Baal or anything like that. Hope that helps. Yeah, yeah, no, it does, it does. I just, I, I, I guess maybe it's my the way I'm interpreting it because I, I was in I was in belief that the word Baal or Baal means Lord. That's why. And I was thinking that because God broke through, they were using the word Baal for God. That's what I, that's. Mm-hmm. I see. Yeah. Baal correct. Mm. I'm looking up that word too. Yeah. Baal Perastim uh, in the Hebrew. Uh, 
It's a good question. It means Lord, Lord of the breakthrough. So I, you know, again, it was the site of the victory over, over the Philistines and a great destruction of their images also called Mount Perizim. And, and I don't know if David's just, he's just emphasizing the fact that he just defeated, uh, you know, they, they worship Baal. And it's almost like God just broke through and defeated your, your, your Baal. God, God destroyed it. And it's almost like he's just, uh, emphasizing that victory that he had over that area. There may be more to that question or more to that answer, I should say, but um, but it's definitely uh, David just declaring his victory. Yeah, master of the breakthrough is what it means. Master what it, of the breakthrough, right? Okay, I thought that's what that's, it meant. That's yeah. what it means, master of the breakthrough. And really, uh, I, they, I, I think they just left it that name because that's where the bales were defeated. So uh, he even just, says just, that, Mike, in verse 20, he said, the Lord has broken through my enemies before yeah. me, like so, the breakthrough of water. So, yeah. So I hope that helps. Yeah, no, sure. Thank you. I, I appreciate you guys. Um, I just wanted to get some clarity on that. I just, uh, you guys have a wonderful yeah. day. Thank you for all you do. Yeah. It's like Baal has been broken. Like he's been defeated. He's We broke through and, and Baal has been broken through. God is the master break, breakthrough. You know, that particular passage of scripture, Mike, and, and I remember just reading through that. And for you, David, there in Vegas, I, I, you know, I just, this blesses me to know that, that God is the master of breakthrough. So often you hear people say, man, I need a breakthrough in this area. I need a breakthrough in this area. And, and you know, the enemy's coming in. I just love this, this passage of scripture. Um, and I'm just kind of, maybe it's a personal note, just reading through that and just thinking, God, you have ways of breaking through obstacles and, and you're the master of breakthrough. And I've always uh, looked at that passage and been so grateful for that fact concerning the Lord. But I think he's just emphasizing Baal was defeated. He, he was broken through uh, right here, like the breaking through of water. We defeated him. I think that's the emphasis. The Lord did it. Yeah. Two, two great victories at this point. And um, it always follows when you do it God's way. David, Happy mm -hmm. New Year to you, and uh, blessings. If you like, stay online. We'll send you out some books, some DVDs, okay? Okay, thank you so much, God you guys. bless you. Let's go to Timo, Jerome Ido. Hi, welcome. Hello. Um, very quickly, uh, I, you know, I need to present a study on uh, the uh, perfect and permissive will of God. Well, the perfect will of God, and people often say that, what is the will of God for my life? The Bible says, give thanks in all things, for this is the will of Christ Jesus concerning you. That's the will of God for our life, to give thanks in all things. Now, uh, really, that's the place where God's blessing is. The permissive will of God, I believe, are for people that accept Christ, but they're really not walking like they should. And God's heart is that they would uh, walk in His way, sell out 100% uh, for their, in the relationship with Christ. Your thoughts? It, boy, I tell you what, that paper right there, uh, that's going to be a good one there, uh, Brandy. That's a, that's a tough one because you start dealing with the sovereignty of God. You start looking into the sovereign will of God. What we know concerning God's permissive will, it, you know, God has made us free moral agents. Oftentimes people ask the question, why, why did God ever put that tree in the Garden of Eden that would, you know, potentially stumble out of me? Why did he ever put that there? If he wouldn't have put that there, we, we'd be all right. I, I think God put that tree there because for love to be love, there has to be a choice. God, God gave man an opportunity, a, a will to choose whether to love him or to not love him. Love, love is not to be forced. There's a decision to be made. And so the permissive will of God, God allows us to make decisions and, and sometimes, uh, you know, that decisions that aren't necessarily best for us. 
And sometimes in, in his permissive will, that's how we learn uh, from our mistakes. We want to be in the perfect will of God. I mean, I pray. I think most people that that desire the perfect will of God pray, God, let me be in your will today. I don't want to do my own will because the natural bent of the, the fallen man is is to do my own will. But if we're going to follow the example of Jesus, we're going to say, not my will, but yours be done. So um, sometimes God allows us to make decisions. And then it's funny because sometimes, Mike, you've noticed that God allows us to make a decision based upon his permissive will. And then we suffer the consequence for a bad decision we make. And then we want to blame God. How could you do this, God? <laughs> and why would you let this happen to me? Well, the problem is you you went against every roadblock, every stop sign God sent. You, the people God said, you told you don't do it. You did it anyway. And no one could tell you any different. And then you're asking God, how could this happen? So um, the, the permissive and perfect will of God, it's a really good subject to, to delve into. Yeah, it is. And, and I really believe that those uh, that, as Jesus said, uh, pray that you escape all these things. Those are the ones in the perfect will of God. I, I really yeah, you know, them. Mike. I was thinking about an example of this, uh, Timo, and and that was in um, uh, where you remember when the Israelites demanded, "Give us a king." Yeah. And Samuel was like, "Hey, God doesn't want us to have a king." And then and then yet God gave them a king and told them about the negative consequences, told them what was going to happen, but. In his permissive will, he allowed them to have what they demanded. They had a king because they wanted to be like every other nation. And yet you go back to Deuteronomy and you find that God gave instructions for when they had kings. So so God knew what he was doing, but he allowed them to have what they wanted when that necessarily wasn't God's best. And I just want to pray, God, whatever you don't have for me, I don't want it. Amen. And whatever you have for me, I receive it. Amen. Timo, hope that helps. Well, I have a, uh, a prison ministry here. And this question came up when we uh, went through uh, Romans 12, the first couple of verses. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I really need to come up with the, some more, uh, you know, scriptural scripture verses. John, any last thoughts? Yeah, I think I think that's a great a great place to be in in Romans chapter 12, 1 and two. You know, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and perfect will of God. How can my mind be renewed and transformed so that I'm able to do the will of God? The answer to that, Timo, is the Word of God. The Word of God renews my mind, transforms me, the Spirit of God using the Word of God to change me so that I don't want to do my will. I want to do God's will for my life. And I can tell you this, God would never tell you to do something that is sinful, so you know right there, that's not God's will. Uh, that's that You can know straight away, uh, well, I feel like God wanted me to, to do this or that. Well, that's uh, contrary to what Scripture says, so that's not God telling you to do that. That's your flesh or the enemy inciting that. So, I, I man, we'll be praying for you as you go into that that prison. You're able to share with these individuals and, and help them to make right decisions um, while they're there. And, and if, God willing, they're able to get out. Yeah, uh, and again, go to First Thessalonians 518, because this talks directly about God's best will for our life. Amen. Again, First Thessalonians 518, and we are out of time. Brandy, we want to get to you, but hey, if you'll call us back, we'll put you on very first thing tomorrow. I want to get to your question. I think it's a very great question. We want to say Happy New Year to everybody. John, thanks so much for being on the program. My pleasure, brother. God bless you. God bless you all. Good night. To find out more about this ministry or to receive a copy of today's program, please call 1-800-357-4226. 
or write us to Every Man and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226. Subscribe to the free podcast on iTunes by searching for To Every Man and Answer in the iTunes Store or visit us online at csnradio.com slash TEMA. To Every Man and Answer is a production of CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network. The opinions expressed by our guests may or may not be those of CSN International or of this station. 